Welcome back to the John D. Sperry Podcast. The John D. Sperry Podcast is brought to you by Audible. Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers to celebrity memoirs, news, business, and self-development. Every month, members get one credit to pick any title, plus two Audible originals from a monthly selection, and access to daily news digests like the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and the Washington Post, as well as guided meditation programs. With your Audible membership, you can download titles and listen offline anytime and anywhere. Download the free app onto smartphones, both Apple and Android. Listen across devices without losing your spot. If you can't decide what to listen to, don't worry. You can keep your credits for up to a year and use them to binge on a whole series if you'd like. I've been using Audible for about a decade now, and I couldn't be more satisfied. I love Audible. I've listened to audiobooks, dramas, podcasts. To get started with a one-month free trial, go to audibletrial.com slash jdspodcast. That's audibletrial.com slash jdspodcast. That gets you one month free, which includes a free book credit, two free Audible Originals, and access to their massive library of resources. One more time, audibletrial.com slash jdspodcast to get started with Audible with that free month. So today we're getting into chapter 7. Chapter 7 is Latin in Space. I hope you enjoy this one. I really enjoyed writing this one because it leads into some really great stuff. Um, And I will talk a little bit more about this. But right now, here's chapter 7. I hope you enjoy it. Chapter 7. Aladdin stepped off of Malik's personal shuttle inside the Telluride district of Bag City, which housed the travel and commuter ports. The bubble, as it was nicknamed, was an enormous shielded part of the city held under an energy field. This particular bubble was different from others around the planet as it was pressurized with a nitrogen and oxygen environment, not the lithium version breathed by Tellurides. More humans used the Bag City central bubble than any other bubble on the planet. For the time being, Ladin breathed his own air comfortably. At some point, he would have to make the transition to lithium air in order to appear telluride, but he had no idea what that would look or feel like. The early afternoon air was normally unbearable, but the field that stretched high overhead kept out the healthy gusts of a dying sandstorm that blew around the rest of the city. Inside the bubble, the weather was perfect. Ladin took a step toward the spaceport gate and almost fell over. He wasn't used to such heeled shoes that most businessmen wore. The labor boots, to which he was accustomed, lay tauntingly in the bag he held tightly in his hand. Not only were the new shoes higher, they were shinier, stiffer, and much more elegant than anything he had ever seen, let alone worn. He felt a little embarrassed. He pulled out the high collar of the jacket Malik had put him in. It was a tailored affair, and it itched. Ladin was tempted to pull open the magnetic fasteners around his neck, but that would never work for a liaison of the government and a member of the Malik family, or so his credentials stated. 
Ladin thought it obscene to dress him up like such a monkey just to send him on a pointless mission that would ultimately result in his death or imprisonment for life. Maybe if he could prove the lamp wasn't real, Malik would have mercy on him. Then again, maybe not. On a thin but sturdy chain that hung around his neck and outside the robe that covered the most uncomfortable outfit he had ever worn, Ladin wore a government identification plaque. It was small, the size of a playing card, and it was made of lightweight material. Printed on the front was his picture and a false Malik name, a distant half-breed cousin from a nearby Telluride bubble in Cairo, the largest Telluride community on Earth near the lithium-rich waters of the Middle Sea. Ladin's ID badge carried other identifying markers that checkpoint officers used as verification, things such as gender, height, weight, and species. The only one that really had Ladin nervous was his species. His whole life he had believed himself to be fully human. Malik's blood test disagreed. Up his back, around his ears, and into his nostrils he wore fiber-thin tubes that were supposed to look like supplemental lithium tubes. He was supposed to be a Telluride, after all. Where are you headed today, sir? Asked the young man with a Telluride accent and fiber tubes running into his nose. Um, Pluto Station, Lydon answered apprehensively in his native Bagadite language, almost as a question. He was starting to sweat under his layers of newly fitted clothing, but not because of the nearly 40 degree heat. The attendant at the terminal desk reached for Ladin's ID badge and turned it over. He froze for just a second upon seeing the official seal of the Earth Telera diplomatic delegation. Oh, sir, I'm terribly sorry. Right this way, the man said, reaching for the black synthahide bag Ladin carried, but Ladin pulled it away. Uh, I'll carry it, if you don't mind, he said, probably with a little too much curtness. Yes, as you wish, Mr. Malik. The attendant replied as he hurriedly led Ladin into the spaceport and up a moving staircase. The attendant looked at his chronometer that hung upside down on his wrist. Oh, we are just going to make it, sir, he said with a hasty smile. The young man had a high voice and spoke with a slight lisp. His hair was platinum blonde at the roots and cut very short with a gradient fade of green at the tips, an obvious sign of a telluride. Here we are, sir. The attendant said, walking Ladin up to an enormous glass wall with a sliding doorway in the center of it, a view of a gleaming white Telluride spacecraft on the other side. Ladin had only ever seen space coaches as they flew quickly toward the stratosphere. Seeing one up close was a different prospect altogether. It was much bigger than it seemed from the ground, and, having never been in the air, let alone space, Ladin suddenly felt nervous. It looks like we just made it, Mr. Malik, the attendant said cheerfully with a nervous smile. I hope you'll have a pleasant flight and fly with us again. Ladin looked at the awkward youth who was, by age, probably not much older than he, maybe a year or two. Uh, thank you, Ladin said, not knowing exactly how to respond. The attendant's smile began to crack as the pregnant pause between words seemed almost ready to give birth. I'm sorry, uh, what do I do now? Ladin asked sheepishly as the attendant waited, looking more and more awkward by the second. The attendant looked at him with a half-confused smile. With a slightly trembling wave of his hand, he indicated a waist-high podium that sat next to the door. The small stand held a chrome ball on the end of it that would easily fit in the palm of one's hand. On top of the ball, embedded into the metal, was a sensor that looked like a glowing emerald. The attendant nodded toward the device. Oh, right. I mean, exactly, Ladin said with pretended sternness as he made his way to the podium. It's been a tiring trip he said with turned-down eyebrows. The attendant only nodded with his crooked, nervous grin. Ladin raised his hand up and held it over the ball, 
and his palm began to sweat as it occurred to him that he had arrived, without preparation or warning, at the first and most crucial test of this whole experiment. With a quick but inconspicuous jerk, Ladin dropped his trembling hand onto the ball and closed his eyes. For a brief second, and all at once, he felt the tips of his fingers attached like suction to the device, followed by a slight tickling in his palm. Ladin held his breath. The entire procedure took only a few seconds as the green sensor painlessly extracted a single drop of blood from the center of Ladin's hand, then healed the wound by some magical telluride method. When the ball released its grip on his hand, Ladin opened his eyes and saw words were scrolling down the data screen readout on the wall in front of him. It was mostly in telluride, and he had little idea what it meant until he saw the information in his own language. Identification, Malik, Selman D, Residence, Cairo Reserve, DNA, Telluride Human 6040. Linguistics, Bagadite. Assignment, Diplomat, Temp, Pluto, Outpost. With a whooshing sound, the transparent glass in front of Ladin opened, revealing the tube through which he would board the coach. Well, sir, have a wonderful flight. Six hours to Pluto Station should pass by in no time. Ladin nodded, trying to hide his own nerves. Thanks, uh, you too, he said, and the attendant looked at him again with nervous confusion as the doors closed. At the entrance to the coach, Ladin was greeted by a Telluride attendant whose beauty matched everything Ladin had ever heard about Tellurides. According to her name tag, which was printed thankfully in both Bagadite and Telluride, her name was Brynden, a name as common to Telluride females as Jane was to humans. Brynden's hair was a beautiful turquoise at the roots and faded perfectly into a dark blue at the ends which spilled softly over her shoulders and down her back. It wasn't dyed, the color was natural among Tellurides, part of their distinguishing characteristics, along with their irises. Brynden's eyes were a perfect blend of the two shades of her hair, an inhuman aquamarine. She wore a purple uniform emblazoned with the Telluride crest on the front, though the style of the ensemble was decidedly human with a skirt that ended about mid-thigh. C'est un peu Brynden said as Ladin boarded, and he could almost hear Malik's voice in his head, practically screaming at him. Once you get on that coach, don't say a word. Pretend that you're too tired to talk and rudely brush those people away. They're used to that coming from diplomats. Ladin smiled and nodded, assuming Brynden was simply greeting him onto the coach. But as she turned to go into the next compartment, the lovely attendant grabbed firmly but professionally onto his arm. C'est un peu miscudet? She said with an enchanting smile that quickly turned the moment awkward. His trip was only a few minutes old, and he was already tired of the blunders that seemed to dominate his encounters with civilized people. Malik chose the wrong kid for this job. The scanner, Mr. Malik? The girl finally said in Bagadite with a heavy Telluride accent as she nodded her smile downward at the podium in front of her. Another silver ball with a green emerald eye staring up at him. Oh, he heaved with obvious embarrassment and threw his hand over the scanner much more confidently this time, waiting for the monitor to grant Brynden permission to wave him on. The readout scrolled, the same set of data showed up as for the first attendant, and Brynden gestured for Ladin to follow her into the next compartment. As they turned the corner into the seating area, Ladin had already noticed just how lovely Brynden's legs were and was in the process of examining the rest of her when he noticed the opulence of the main seating area of the shuttle. It was hardly what Ladin had expected, two rows of cramped seats filled with interplanetary travelers. No, this was something out of a rich man's fantasy. The main deck was spacious with high ceilings. 
Every surface from the walls to the floors and furniture was covered in ornate decoration, from aromatic greenery to glistening gold and silver inlaid filigree on the edge of every piece of furniture. Glowing lights were recessed into the top of the curved walls, giving the room a cozy, soft white ambiance. Elegance reigned as the decor, and accoutrements screamed of affluence. It was well known that the Tellurides valued cleanliness and order above all things. No one ever said anything about their opulence. There were approximately two dozen other passengers already seated on the coach, most glued to data screens, others reclined with their eyes closed, all wearing lithium injectors. Ladin wondered why they wouldn't simply pressurize the cabin with the lithium-rich air since every one of the passengers, excluding himself, was Telluride. Ladin's personal theory was that Telluride air was downright poisonous to humans, while Earth air was more like slow suffocation to Tellurides. With a Telluride, there was time to find a lithium supply before asphyxiating. For a human in Telluride air, there was agony brought on by coughing, dry heaving, actual heaving, spitting up blood, then death. For a mixed species transport, it was safer to err on the side of suffocation versus internal organs cannibalizing themselves. At any rate, Ladin prayed Malik was right about his lungs, that they would adapt to the lithium air once he got to the sublight ship. As a proven Telluride by DNA, they would certainly place him in the Telluride section of the ship. Brendan walked Ladin to a group of three chairs situated around a small table and pressed a button on a data mod she retrieved from her front jacket pocket. One of the three chairs spun with a gentle hum and the arm closest to Ladin folded down to make sitting easier. Brendan gestured for Ladin to be seated and he obliged. She pressed another button and the chair transformed to its original state and position. Looking around, Ladin noticed two things. No one was talking, and no one had noticed him or even cared who he was. Step one was complete, but step two was going to be another story altogether. After a 20-minute flight into space, the docking procedure with the Telluride sublight vessel was pleasant enough. There was no losing one's lunch over the transition between gravity and artificial gravity, no loud reverberating bangs of any kind. It was almost as though they hadn't gone anywhere. One at a time, Brendan and four other flight attendants escorted the passengers toward the exit. When it was Ladin's turn, Brendan came smiling over, gestured for him to follow her, so he did. On the other side of the exit, Ladin was led into a small chamber the size of any average lavatory. Thank you for traveling with us, Mr. Malik. I hope you have an enjoyable flight, she said in her very pleasing Telluride accent before the door to the coach slid shut, locking him inside the small room. Ladin's hands shook nervously as he waited for what was coming. He had never really bet his life on anything before, and trusting in DNA to overcome a lifetime of breathing Earth's atmosphere was not his ideal choice for a first time. But if he passed this stage of the mission, he would be on his way to Pluto Station to spend a little less than five hours trying to hack into the Telluride network. If he failed here, he'd probably be dead. When the vents suddenly opened and began hissing with lithium-rich air, Ladin tried to hold his breath, but it was difficult. His nerves were already raw, and every part of him had begun to sweat. He had no idea how long the process would take and wished for a place to sit down to wait it out. In fact, he wished he would just pass out and let his body do all the work without him having to be aware of it. As the air washed over his body and face, Ladin could feel it tingle coldly on his skin. As it came over his lips and nose, he resisted. Deep down, his body knew it was alien air and that he shouldn't consume it, but little by little, his body revolted against allowing no air in at all. And he was forced to let the Telluride air in through a tiny gap between his lips. 
It shocked him that he could actually taste the difference between the two airs. The taste of the new air was mild but definitely sweet and not unpleasant, so he allowed himself to take a deeper breath. That was a mistake. Like a balloon popping, his lungs heaved violent, spasmodic bursts and loud, barking coughs. The sensation was like fire in his chest, and he craved a glass of water. After a few coughs, he reached for his throat because the fire suddenly turned to suffocating liquid and he couldn't breathe at all. Falling to his knees, he groped and gasped for air, for anything to get through the passage between his mouth and his lungs. But there was nothing. Tears sprang from his eyes, and saliva dripped from his mouth, not because of emotional release, but because he couldn't help it. Forcing himself to heave from all the way down in his stomach, he felt the fluid-like substance... Forcing himself to heave from all the way down in his stomach, he felt the fluid-like substance in his lungs suddenly loosen. There was suddenly hope when a small sliver of air seemed to get in, and he began to cough repeatedly toward the floor. With each hack, the fluid moved with horror from his lungs into his esophagus. The sound of air in the vents stopped as one final cough barked out from deep in his chest. As if being shot from his throat directly into his mouth, Ladin hacked up a large mass of soft, viscous phlegm. While his body had stopped convulsing, the salty blob sat heavy on his tongue and began to tickle at his gag reflex. He needed to get rid of the mass, or he and whatever attendant existed on the other side of the door would be dealing with a much bigger mess. Just as his body was ready to jettison everything between his stomach and his mouth, Ladin eyed a small receptacle in the corner. It looked like a refuse bin, so he made his way over to it on hands and knees. Without a single spare second, he reached the bin and lowered his head into it. The soft, salty mass dripped from his tongue and fell as a lump of yellow-green goo into the receptacle. With a shudder of relief, Ladin fell backwards against the nearest wall and finally breathed without hacking. For a few seconds, he fought his natural urge and just forced shallow breaths of the sweet air that didn't taste nearly as sweet after his little experiment in physiology. Slowly, he stood up and adjusted his clothing. His throat hurt and he knew that if he spoke, his voice would be hoarse. Carefully, Ladin tried to take deeper and deeper breaths, and he found that it was becoming easier with every try. The lithium-saturated vapor was comfortably processed by what he had always assumed were his human lungs. Being half telluride had already proven valuable. A minute passed as Ladin breathed, when a robotic voice suddenly sounded over an invisible audio system. It was a female voice speaking in telluride, so of course he didn't understand it. If the instructions were a matter of life and death, he would never know. When the door opened, Ladin exited into a dimly lit but still very elegantly decorated corridor. He stood looking around at the empty hall, wondering what to do when a door opened on the right side. Emerging from it came a young woman wearing a translucent mask over her face that covered her nose and mouth, but despite the, but despite the apparatus, something came over Ladin as the girl walked toward him. It might have been the euphoric sensation of still being alive, but he doubted it. This girl was gorgeous. She had a slender frame, accentuated by the attendant's uniform she wore that showed her arms below short cap sleeves and her legs from the middle of her thighs where the skirt stopped. But it wasn't her figure that most caught Ladin's attention. It was her dazzling green, very human eyes, and the smell of sweet ambrosia that preceded her down the hall. He had never known a girl, not in the romantic sense. It had always sort of disinterested him, but this girl had, in one moment of being, made him a fan. Ladin stared into the girl's eyes as she approached him. She was young, maybe 17 years old, but walked with the maturity of someone much older. 
He looked at the mask she wore and wondered why she would need it. Then she spoke. He didn't understand what she said, but her gestures around her ears helped him to understand. She was telling him he no longer needed the breathing supplement he had been wearing, tiny tubes that were supposed to inject lithium into his system. It was, of course, benign. Ladin pulled the tubes from his nose and the young woman helped him with the rest of the apparatus around his back. When he pulled up his robe and jacket to extract the inert lithium canister, he revealed his lower back and the girl spoke again. Oh, she said with a bit of surprise and Ladin froze. You have a human father? She only sort of asked and Ladin almost melted at the not surprisingly melodic tinkling sound of her voice. It was like the voice of an angel or a goddess. And to his surprise, the voice spoke his own language. She wasn't Telluride. The girl came back around his front and looked at him as if expecting Ladin to answer, which sent him into a panic as he tried to remember what she had said. I only say that, the girl continued, because either your navel is missing or it's on the front, which means you're at least half human on your father's side. She was smiling coyly, and it was completely disarming. I, uh, no, I mean, yeah, half human, my father. Lydon finally said, his frazzled brain barely coherent enough to say anything. "'Well, you don't have to be ashamed,' the girl said. "'I'm half Telluride, too,' she finished encouragingly as, with no sense of bashfulness, she pulled up the front of her fitted top to reveal her stomach and navel. It looked perfectly human. "'My father's human,' the girl said, still smiling. "'My mother is Telluride.' "'Mine, too,' Lydon blurted out, stupidly stating the obvious." I figured, since you can breathe this air, that your mother is Telluride, she said, almost laughing. Oh, right, Ladin replied with a sheepish smile, trying to recover his weakly performed alter ego. You ever wonder why the species of the female is so dominant when our people crossbreed? Except for the belly button, of course. That's always human, she winked at Ladin. Ladin tried to focus on what she was saying, but the girl's beauty and voice were intoxicating. Her conversation and demeanor were very casual. She made Ladin feel quite comfortable, which he supposed was the point of her position on the ship. He had to relax, talk like a normal person. He took a steadying breath of Telluride air. If, if your mother was Telluride, he began in his newly hoarse voice, then why do you wear the mask? Ladin asked, proud of his astute observation as he stared at her smooth, tender lips covered in pink lipshade. Would you want to do that every other day, just coming to work? She asked, pointing to the chamber Ladin had just exited. I thought I was going to die the first time, she sympathized. Yeah, I guess not, Ladin rasped. Is this your first time off planet? The girl asked as she handed Ladin his lithium supplement. Uh, yeah, he said as the reminder that he was in space conjured up the words of Haslan Malik that he was to get in and get out without being detected or noticed. A prolonged conversation with a flight attendant, no matter how much he wanted it, was a bad idea and would ultimately raise questions about his identity. Not sure how to dodge the inquiry, he brushed the back of his hand on his forehead. "'Are you feeling all right?' the girl asked as she noticed his nervousness. "'Oh yeah, I'm fine. It's just this, uh—' "'The acclimation process is a killer,' the girl said, conveniently filling in the holes in his story. She smiled her pink lips and gleaming white teeth, then took Lydon's bag— brushing her soft fingers against his as she grasped onto the synthahide straps. "'I'll show you to your quarters so you can lie down, Mr. Malik,' she said, and Ladin's heart jumped and sank simultaneously as he realized she didn't and wouldn't know his real name. After a few turns down a couple of matching hallways, the girl stopped in front of a door and swiped a card on a control panel. 
She then grabbed at Ladin's tag from around his neck and swiped it while he stared sadly at the girl. And there you are, she said. This is your room until we arrive at Pluto Station. Thanks, Ladin said with a weak smile. It was very nice to meet you, Mr. Malik, and welcome to the Sienna. My name is Kimber, she said as she held out her hand. Ladin took the hand in his and relished its supple touch as she gripped his firmly in a businesslike manner. Well, I'm just a call button away if you need anything, Kimber said as she stepped backward and the door slid shut. Ladin sighed heavily and blew the air up into his bangs. That was worse than hacking the market nets, he said and promptly stripped the robe from his body, followed by the thick jacket, shirt, and undershirt. The lithium-soaked air felt great on his youthful bare chest and he took a deep breath. Immediately a cough burst out of his lungs and he hacked a couple of times. Okay, little breaths he said to himself, then went for his synthahide bag. He pulled out his data mod and ran his fingers gently over every edge. What do you say we break into some networks? He said aloud as he searched for the strongest net signal available. Okay, that was chapter seven. Chapter seven is great because chapter seven it gets into my guilty pleasure with science fiction. My favorite part about my favorite science fiction books, my favorite science fiction TV shows, my favorite science fiction movies are those that have one of two things, time travel or spaceships. Um, I grew up on Star Trek. My grandpa... Um, used to watch reruns of Star Trek when I was little. We'd watch them in his living room. I remember I would just lie on the floor on the carpet. He would be in his his uh, Lazy Boy recliner, and we would be watching Star Trek, the original series, on his big cabinet television. And that is also where I was introduced to Star Trek The Next Generation when it was brand new. We'd go over to Grandma and Grandpa's house. They had satellite you know, back in the 80s, and uh, we would watch Star Trek The Next Generation. And so I've always had a love for science fiction with spaceships. Spaceships are my favorite. My sister and her husband, um, they are big Stargate fans. And uh, uh, my friend Chadwick, he's also a big Stargate fan. Or at least uh, he was you know, years ago when he introduced me to the Stargate TV shows. I was fully aware of the, of the movie. Um, I had seen it when it came out in theaters uh, you know, when I was a kid. But... My friend Chadwick introduced me to Stargate, the TV shows, after they had all done all the spinoffs. Um, Atlantis, SG-1. And my favorite one was the one that nobody liked. I loved SGU. Uh, Stargate Universe. A bunch of people were forced onto through a Stargate, and they didn't know where it dumped them out, and it was on a spaceship. And this spaceship, so they were on this spaceship, they had no idea where it was, what it was, and so, so I loved that aspect of it, that it was on a spaceship. And so I had to get Ladin on a spaceship at least once in this book. And you're going to find out that he goes on a spaceship quite a few times. So spaceships are my fave. I heart spaceships. A couple of things I want to point out in this chapter. 
we have Ladin. He's embarking on this quest to go get the lamp. We don't know how Malik persuaded him, except that he proved to him that he was half Telluride with the blood and everything. So as far as like the character goes, Ladin to me was always a pretty easygoing character. Um, he kind of rolled with the punches and this is another example of him just rolling and this is and maybe I think it's a trait that I wish I had uh, more and that's to just be thrown an incredible curveball and just roll with it you know in within days he's told that he's half alien he's not who he thought he was he's now being blackmailed into retrieving a mythical piece of software and the thing that's bothering him is that the heels on his shoes are hurting his feet and he wishes he could put his boots back on the guy just wants to be comfortable and i think this gets at um a lot of what you know kids want in life kids want security and to Aladdin, security was everything that was in the bag he was holding his clothes his shoes his data mod he just wanted security and and when i wrote the character i wrote him like that because i remember being that way as a kid and i see that in my own kids sometimes that when you pull security away from them they kind of spaz out and they all they all sort of lose their minds in different ways but, um, yeah, anytime that they think that the world is going to change, for example, with this whole lockdown with the COVID-19 thing, one of my kids was freaked out because they thought that the world was changing irreparably. And, and the more we stayed home from school, the more this child did not like it, did not like being at home. It just felt weird for everybody to be at home and have to stay at home. And I think a lot of kids felt that because some of my students have said that to me as well. And so Ladin is going through this very thing. He's going through this insecurity. So now let's talk about a few of the inspirations I had. Um, I think sometimes when I listen to listen to authors talk about their writing, um, what I'm most interested in is the minutia, the little stuff that they talk about, where they get the inspiration for that little thing. And so there were a couple things in this chapter that um, I just really wanted to emphasize. I remember... Um, I was I was looking at some clickbait one time. It was on like luxury aircraft, um, like these giant Airbus airplanes or these Boeing airplanes that have been converted into luxury uh, aircraft and all these amenities that were just over the top. And that's kind of what I was going for with this Telluride shuttle. Um, I wanted it to be like something I would want to ride on, not like the cramped coach seats. And I'm a big guy, and so those are not comfortable. Remember, I took three planes to Dallas a few years ago, and it was not comfortable. Um, it had been a while since I'd flown, and I flew from, uh, I, I think it was like Portland to Phoenix to Dallas, and then from Dallas to Denver to Seattle to Portland. It was crazy, but it was the cheapest way I could go. And uh, it was just uncomfortable. And I, I remember thinking to myself, I wish I could be on one of those luxury liners where everybody sort of has their own little cabin. And so that's kind of what I wanted this to be. Um, so he has the shuttle that's sort of a, a luxury shuttle that gets him up to the, the bigger sublight ship. And then on the sublight ship, it's, uh, it's only a six-hour trip to the space station and a six-hour trip back. But he's given his own cabin. He has this little room all to himself. And it's it's really nice. Um, and so I, I wanted it to be like one of those luxury uh, aircraft that you see. 
So that that was that. And then you have the the Telluride language. This is, there's only one example of the Telluride language in this entire book, and it's right here, right as he's getting on this shuttle. And and I was thinking, like the accent is like a mix of um, Indian and um, like Irish when I when they speak English. Um, but the the language itself, the vowels and consonants, I for some reason I wanted it to be more like French. Um, I wanted it to be a beautiful language, something that's attractive or something mysterious, and and so I, that's what I wanted with the Telluride. Um, language was it to be kind of like the alien version of french and i just made up words <laughs> those words don't mean anything there's no syntax there's no grammar there's nothing it's just sounds that i put together um so if, if you're looking to to dissect it you're not going to get very far uh so that was the language and then um i, I wanted the tellurides to be exotic and so they have this feature in their, you know, in the color of their hair and the color of their eyes that gives them these bright, vibrant colors naturally. Who knows? Maybe it's the lithium. <laughs> um, but I wanted them to be humanoid, look like humans, uh, almost like the perfect specimen of humans, but with this flair, um, with this, this sort of gradient color hair, like an, uh, I, what would my wife call it? An ombre? <laughs> I'm probably saying that wrong. Uh, ombre, the hairstyle, the dying. Anyway, that's kind of what it looks like. Um, and so I, I just wanted them to be exotic, just like humans. Um, have a lot in common with humans, but have this one little characteristic. And then we have the acclimatization chamber, where Aladdin has to go from breathing uh, nitrogen oxygen air to breathing a lithium nitrogen oxygen uh, combination and uh, this was very special to me um, my challenge here was I, it had to be something that he noticed because he never breathed uh, lithium that he was aware of but it had to be something that he could get over quickly so every single year of my life that I can recall I have gotten sick it's like this chest congestion and this is gonna get gross so if you if you don't like gross <laughs> fast forward um, it's this chest congestion that produces this like brownish green goo coming from my lungs. And I stand over the bathroom sink and I hack this stuff up. And I remember the first time it happened, my wife was just like, I don't, we'd probably been married a year. And I, she was just like, are you okay? And even now, you know, after 20 years, even now, it's like, she's still like, are you okay? You okay in there? And that's what I wanted Laden to go through with this. I wanted it to be part of me. I wanted him to experience this big, massive ball of goo that he had to cough up just because he switched air. And so the challenge was making it something that was noticeable, making it something that he wouldn't want to do regularly, but not be totally that bad. You know, like once it's over, it's over. And, and so... I drew from very personal experience on that one. And I haven't been I haven't gotten that sickness this year. I haven't felt that 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 lung goo in me this year. So maybe it's like maybe the COVID-19 is sparing me this year from that, but um that's where that came from. All right. So I promised you last week a new segment and I have a new segment that I want to call What's Good in Audio. And I feel like I need a jingle but I don't have a jingle. What this segment is designed to do is to just sort of give you 
uh, sort of an insight into what I like to listen to because I love podcasts. Um, I love audiobooks. And lately, I've been listening to a lot of true crime podcasts. And one uh, really, really popular one is Crime Junkie. I don't know if anybody's listened to it, but uh, Crime Junkie is pretty good. I like uh, the, the ladies who do that are really good at what they do. They make it interesting. But the host, Ashley Flowers, has recently started a new podcast. Um, and it's right up my alley. I remember being a kid, I used to watch the X-Files. And when I was a teenager, we would, you know, we'd go and we'd watch the X-Files with a bunch of friends. And uh, the X-Files deal with these sort of supernatural, unexplained phenomena. And so Ashley Flowers' new podcast is called Supernatural with Ashley Flowers. And this podcast delves into some some of these supernatural unexplainable things that have happened on planet earth in the last you know hundred years and uh, everything from uh alien encounters to uh exorcisms to and and i know these <laughs> these sound like for some people i know these are very unsavory topics but um uh hikers disappeared or uh you know really crazy stories that nobody has yet to explain and of course you know we know that there's an explanation for all these things, but still, it's sort of it's sort of um, it's a treat for the mind to think of the extra possibilities, the supernatural possibilities. And so the the podcast is called Supernatural with Ashley Flowers. I think she has six or seven episodes done now, and I absolutely love it and recommend it, especially if you're an X Files geek. It's that kind of stuff. Um, so that's it this weekend. I'm going to be releasing a new episode, but it's not going to be a LAMP episode. I have finally interviewed Patrick Hartsfield, my writing buddy, a guy that I can't wait to introduce you to. I finally interviewed him. He and I sat down, and uh, I extracted about 30 minutes of, of good stuff from him, 20, 25 to 30 minutes of, of really interesting stuff that he had to say because the guy is really smart. So I'm going to start a, a periodic new feature it's going to be its own episode, and I'm going to try to do this with, with different interviews. Um, that's going to be called Full Request. It's going to be Full Request with Patrick Hartsfield this weekend. I'm hoping to have it up by Saturday. Um, I haven't decided what day I want to release those, but I think I'm going to do those on Saturdays. Um, so stay tuned for that. If you see that, Full Request with Patrick Hartsfield, that's just, it's just an interview that I have with uh, certain people, and I'm going to get some other authors on here. And uh, yeah. I'm trying to do one of these a month. Try not to do more than two a month. Um, but yeah, so full request with Patrick Hartsfield coming this weekend. That's it for this episode. Remember, be good. Don't do anything I wouldn't do. And I will see you next time. This podcast is written, produced, and edited by me, John D. Sperry. Additional music and sound effects are provided by EpidemicSound.com. The John D. Sperry theme song is Abstraction by Talent Studio. This podcast is a John D. Sperry production, copyright 2020.